Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In today's program, the new Chief Executive of New Zealand Cricket, David White, discusses John Wright's future as Black Caps coach. We talk to a Christchurch woman who hopes to become the first blind woman to complete the coast-to-coast. Rugby Sevens coach Gordon Titchens puts the case for full-time Sevens contracts. And the New Zealand women's hockey coach Mark Hager reflects on the side's Champions Trophy campaign. He's only been in the job a couple of days, but one of the priorities for new New Zealand Cricket Chief Executive David White is to resolve the contract situation of Black Caps coach John Wright. Wright is contracted through until the end of the Black Caps tour of the West Indies in August and has indicated he's undecided about his future. White, a former international cricketer himself, comes into the role having previously been Chief Executive of both the Wellington and Auckland Rugby Unions. I asked him whether taking up the New Zealand cricket role was something of a homecoming. I've been involved in rugby now for, I think, 15 years, so so to come back into cricket is, is terrific, and um, a lot of familiar old faces, and I, and I feel very comfortable uh, in the cricket environment. Had you kept in touch with it? Of course. I mean, I've got a lot of, lot of friends involved in cricket, uh, and I've been on the Cricket Players Association since, since its inception, so I've kept, kept a close contact. I suppose, too, settling in has made a whole lot easier, given your background, and also the fact you've got so much administration experience in rugby in New Zealand. That's right. I mean, we're, we're a very small country, so, you know, with rugby and using dual stadiums, um, it, it's a lot of the same people running the stadiums. Uh, the, the media is the same. So, yeah, I, I'm very comfortable and, and know a lot of the people involved. How much contact have you had with, with John Wright? Have you had a chance to sit down with him? Yes, I have. I, I went down to Napier last week, uh, sat down with John, spent spent some time with him and the, and the management team, and um, had a very good chat to John. He, he's he's doing um, him and the, the management team and the players are doing particularly well. So uh, no, he's very positive, John. Topic of conversation was his future with the Black Caps discussed. Of course, and um, it's, a, it's a key focus for us over the next uh, month or two to. Um, to look at you know the, the coaching and the support staff for the for the Black Cats, we've got a huge amount of cricket for the next 14 months. So, uh, you know, I've spoken to John Buchanan and spoken to John, and and, and um, you know, I've got a board meeting coming up, and and um, it's, a, it's a key focus for us. And you know, I just like to say, you know, that the board and and me as CEO, we're, we're delighted with the job that John Wright's doing. Has he given you an indication that he wants to stay on after August? Oh, we, we had a good chat. You know, it was it was, a, it was a pretty general chat. But you know, John John Wright would be one of the most passionate people about New Zealand cricket. So uh, you know, we, we we'll go through. John Buchanan and I will go through a you know a, a discussion process with John. But did he give an indication to you that he wants to stay on in the role? He's uh, yeah. I mean, we we, we haven't he, he hasn't said yes or no. We, we it was our first meeting. Um, 
I think it'd be premature for me to say anything public about that. But all of what I can say is, um, you know, he's very positive about New Zealand cricket and, and New Zealand cricket and, and the board are very positive about the, the job that he's doing. So um, I think we should just leave it at that. I think it would be premature to say anything else. He sounds as though he's happy enough in the role, though. Yeah, he's very, he's very happy with the uh, the performance of the, of the team to date. Um, it's a big schedule coming up, and um, he needs to think about that as well. Um, but you know, we, we haven't we we haven't definitively had that discussion yet. You know, I, I formerly wasn't in the role last Wednesday when I had a chat with him. Um, but listen, it's high on our agenda. Um, like I said before, we are delighted with the job that John Wright is doing, and. Um, It'll be a topic at our next board meeting um, for discussion, and um, we will. John Buchanan and I will continue discussions with John. What else is high on your priority list for developing the game? It's well. I think I think that you know the big challenge for us at the moment is financial. It's a non-World Cup year, so we don't get any direct funding from the ICC this year. So it's a challenge from a financial point of view. We've got we've got um, major broadcast negotiations coming up for domestic and uh, international uh, broadcast contracts, so that, that that's high on the agenda at the moment. Um, working very closely with John Buchanan in terms of the high performance program and and, and getting a program in place um, that will mean that we will maximise um, not not only our performance through to the World Cup and to 2015, but also to ensure that we get, you know, all our systems in place and, and we, we can benefit from the uh, favourable financial model uh, that the ICC's got for the Cricket World Cup. It's a great opportunity for New Zealand cricket. There was a lot of talk a few months ago about this sort of selection pie that John Buchanan's come up with. Have you had discussions with him about that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you're talking about um, Kim Littlejohn, who's the... Um, the uh, selection manager. Um, yeah, listen, I've, I've, I've had lots of talks with John Buchanan. Um, I'm, you know, I'm pleased the way that that is working at the moment in terms of, you know, John's working very closely with John Buchanan and Kim Littlejohn, and the re- results are very positive. So, um, yeah, it seems to be working. It's very interesting if you look at the selection of the team for Zimbabwe. Uh, the teams that have been announced, you know, both the Test teams and and the One Day teams. I, I think that you'll. I think it's quite refreshing that they're you know, very much selecting on form, introducing some exciting new talent, and um, I think we're in very good, very good state at the moment. So coming into the role and seeing that, you're satisfied with, with that setup. Day two for me. Um, I think things seem to be in order. I really need to get my feet under the desk and, and have a look at it, have a... You know, work closely with John Buchanan, but um, I, th- I think we're making significant progress. Coming from a, a rugby background, administration-wise, and moving into cricket, d- does that take any adjustment? I mean, the, the fact that rugby is obviously the, the number one sport in New Zealand, do you have to adjust your modus operandi when you come into to working in a, a sport that is, doesn't quite have that same profile? I think the big the big difference for me is that previously I was with um, Wellington Rugby, the Hurricanes, Blues, Auckland Rugby, and Bristol Rugby, and they were um, well in England it was a club team, but there were provincial unions and franchises. For me, it's it's slightly different because now it's a national body. So I guess I've 
you know, it, it, it's a step up in that respect. So it is slightly different. I mean, um, you know, being a national body is you know, presents different challenges, and, and um, we need to operate at a, at a different level. So that's new to me. But in terms of sports administration, not significantly different, to be quite honest. You know, the the revenue model is is pretty much the same. Where broadcast revenue is 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 king <laughs> in terms of you know the big the big income revenue. It's it's about gates. It's about sponsorship. It's about high performance, and, and it's also about growing the game at club and school level. So very similar in a lot of respects. The issues are very much the same. I think so, yeah, and, and, and like anything, you know, we, we're, a, we're a small country in New Zealand and whatever sport you're involved in uh, in New Zealand, uh, there are challenges simply because of our size. So we've got, to be, we've got to be prudent, we've got to be smart and we've got to box clever on how we run our business. I was talking to the new Chief Executive of New Zealand Cricket, David White. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. A Christchurch woman hopes to become the first blind woman to complete the coast-to-coast multi-sport event next weekend. It's the 30th anniversary of the event, which runs from Kumara Beach on the west coast of the South Island to Sumner Beach on the east. 27-year-old Nilu Memon has only 30% sight after suffering a severe brain injury when she was just 16. Memon climbed Mount Aspiring two years ago and is now embarking on a new challenge. I asked her what made her choose the coast-to-coast. The coast-to-coast is something that I've always wanted to do um, since I was a little girl, really. Um, I think that my my, my uh, university studies have really made me realise that people with disabilities are really disadvantaged. Um, the barriers they face, the biggest barriers they face, I guess, are social perceptions of their impairments and what they can and can't do based on their impairments. And so I really wanted to go out and prove to people that um, those social perceptions are really, they're unfounded. They're, um, they're irrational and unfounded. People will say to me, no, you can't do the coast-to-coast. You've got, you haven't got very good sights. So I'm saying I actually can do the coast-to-coast um, when I have support. Now, you're doing the cycle leg on a tandem cycle, the, the kayak leg in a two-seater, and the run, you've got a, another supporter to direct you. Is there any of those three that you've found a particular challenge? The run. The run by far is the, the massive challenge. Um, I've actually got two supporters on the run. So I've got um, one one person who's guiding me and the other person is catering or helping me, supporting me for my balance problems, my balance impairment. Um, so I think the, the real big thing about the run is it's, it's just it's, it's just it's such a crazy, crazy run. It's just... Um, <laughs> it's it's hard to call it a run, um, really. It's um, just I just don't know how you run it, but it's full of obstacles, um, full of obstacles. There's uh, rock hopping, there's climbing up riverbeds, there's just you know you name it, and it's in that race. The rock hopping, etc. How, how have you trained for that? Do you, do you know the um, the Sumner rocks down at um, on the um, the Esplanade of Sumner Beach? They've got a whole lot of rocks there, which are They've got a whole lot of big, big rocks that are just, you know, that you, that you can just practice hopping over. So I've done a lot of hopping on those rocks. Um, I've had, I've taken quite a few injuries as well because you can't, yeah. There's, there's no foolproof way of being, um, being safe on those rocks, really. So yeah, I've just, I've done a lot of practice and um, a lot of coaching from my, from my, from my uh, supporters. 
Um, I've always had to be down there with another person, so I can't just go and rock hop by myself. But definitely, it's um, only been made possible because of because of the other people who are doing it with me. Have you had people saying you shouldn't be doing it? Definitely, definitely. That um, at the start of, at the start when I first decided that I wanted to do the coast to coast. Um, People were very, very negative about it, and it's those negative perceptions which really um, made it really hard for me. Um, they festered in my mind and um, made me think about it, maybe made, made me think probably a million times before I actually committed to doing coast to coast. So um, that that lack of support that, that other people gave me based on my impairments um, really was the, the one factor that um, I had to overcome um, to even you know, think about attempting the coast-to-coast. So it was an extra hurdle that I really didn't need to have there, but I had to had to, um, had to face anyway. So were they people that weren't necessarily close to you, that, that, that didn't know you as a person? Yep, yep, definitely. Um, people that did know me as well. It was, was that yeah. disappointing? Because if it was people that know you, presumably they know the kind of character you are and would you may have thought, supported you in it or, or had a had a belief that you could do it? Yeah, you, you would have thought, eh? I would have thought. Um, but no, no, no. Whenever I, whenever I um, want to do anything, which is, in inverted commas, hard or, you know, difficult, I guess, for for, for, your, for your average Joe Blow, um, yeah, um, people, people give me a lot of negative perceptions of it. So, and they're, they're all people I know. It, it does. It really angers me. It really um. It makes me really sad because it's an extra barrier that I don't need, um, but that I have to overcome anyway. So I think you know when I was climbing Mount Aspiring was the, is the best example. Um, I was pretty excited. I expected everyone else to be excited for me. Um, and when I went and talked to them, they were giving me they were saying stuff like, "People, you know, I w- I wouldn't climb it, and I don't have a disability." Or they were saying stuff like. You know, it's a pretty hard mountain. You know, lots of people have died on that mountain, and um, all that kind of festered in my mind, and to the point where I actually um, was about to give up, give it up, and I actually um, rang Gavin, who was the guy I was going to climb with, and said, "Gavin, my setting my sights too high." He said to me, "No, Naomi, you're not. I believe in you. Um, you know, don't listen to them. Just don't talk to anyone. Do your training. Come down, and we'll do it." And we did. Um, so that, that really proves it wasn't my impairments that stopped me that stopped me climbing the mountain because I because I actually climbed it. Um, it was the negative perceptions that people had of my impairments, which were ultimately going to be the thing that was going to stop me. And it was um, those barriers, like you know, it's an extra hurdle for somebody with impairments that they have to overcome before I was even, before I was even able to attempt to climb Mount Aspiring. So it's those perceptions that are really the thing that really um, make it hard for people with impairments to do anything, whether it's getting a job or, you know, whatever they want to do, go travelling or living alone or climbing a mountain, whatever they want to do. They always have to overcome people's negative perceptions before they're actually able to do the task. So this is certainly about proving a point. Definitely, massively, yep. It's really what I want to do. I really want to make people realise that, you know, you need to support people with disabilities and not and not have negative perceptions of what they can do based on their impairments. Have you got another challenge in mind after this? <laughs> um, I need I really need to get a job. That's my that's my next challenge. Um 
I um I really um I need I've just finished my master's degree at university and need to settle down a little bit and um you know yeah I mean I, I would definitely take on a challenge in the future um another big challenge like the coast to coast but as of now I just need to to really get some you know get some grounding really and get some get some experience working really is there something though that you dream of doing there is there are many things I dream of doing one one big one I, I want to climb Mount Cook that'll probably be that won't be won't be too far off I don't think um, and then maybe Mount Everest would be another thing that I really want to do you've got the, the climbing bug after Mount Aspiring I have definitely yeah it's um it's a uh, yeah you can't you can't um settle it once you've got the climbing bug <laughs> I was talking to Nilu Memon, who hopes to become the first blind woman to complete the coast-to-coast. And you're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. As the New Zealand Rugby Sevens side defends its Wellington tournament title, coach Gordon Titchens is predicting Sevens players won't be able to continue playing the 15-a-side version of the game. With an eye on the 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro, in which Sevens will be played for the first time, There are calls for the players to become specialist contracted Sevens players all year round. Titchens told Joe Porter that Sevens only contracts are inevitable and will improve player skills. Looking down the track, players certainly see it as a a career, uh, a career path. Um, They won't be able to do both. I think you'll see the injection of perhaps a lot more tournaments and I know we'll have a couple of extra World Series tournaments from next year as well. So there just won't be the time and, and because we see the physical nature of sevens now, I don't think the body would stand up and uh, to play competitively 15s and also sevens. We mustn't go away from the fact, certainly in New Zealand's point of view, that sevens is a launching pad you know, for, for the, their development and to go on to be an all-black. Every one of my players want to be a super rugby player, they want to be an all-black. Do you think the 15s is is detrimental to the Sevens game? Do you think players that have to go and back up and do ITM Cup and things like this, is the conditioning so different, the game so different, that it hurts them when they come back to Sevens? The conditioning is different, but also Sevens complements our game of 15s. I mean, I spent time with the All Blacks before the World Cup because the game at the international level sped up so much that they're required to just about be at the fitness levels that my Sevens players are. You know, for any loose forward or any back, the skill sets, everything's there, and they can see the benefits, and I can see the benefits. I talked to players last year that came out of Super Rugby and went to International Rugby, and they said the difference even from Super Rugby to International was huge. So Sevens Rugby complements it rather than sort of working against it. What about the other way around, though? Does 15s hurt when they come back to Sevens? Well, as a 15s player, you can be a really good 15s player and not necessarily a good Sevens player. It does. You can't throw someone in. They can't make the transition from 15s to Sevens. It takes about an amount of time. Jose Gear, as an example, has had to tag on a lot of training sessions for Sevens rugby on the end of his Super 15 requirements. And then, of course, I put him in a tournament last weekend where he had to play five games. So it's totally different. It's the negative coming from 15s to 7s. You've got to do the work and the conditioning. But the other way around, you're also you getting an athlete that's going to have such a work rate because he's so fit when he goes into that 15s environment. And in terms of, I guess, as a consequence of that, do you think that if you did have specialist 7s contracts, you'd see an athlete reach a level that they never had before? Yeah, perhaps in some ways, yeah. I've got a player that, that hit a record beep test score, you know, just recently. Very, very fit. I've never seen that done before in the, in the time that I've been with the New Zealand Sevens team. Yeah, it's different in, in a lot of ways. Um, but again, my Sevens players are a lot fitter than a lot of the 15s players. But the requirements there, to win tournaments, you've got to have a very fit side. And to me, that's won me a lot of tournaments over the years.
That's Gordon Titchens talking to Joe Porter. The New Zealand women's hockey team hasn't performed at its best in the Champions Trophy tournament in Argentina. Winless in the first stage of the event for the top eight teams in the world, the Black Caps struggled particularly on defence. They drew with Argentina in Korea and suffered losses to Germany in world number one, the Netherlands. Barry Guy spoke to coach Mark Hager about what the results mean with the Olympics only six months away. We're well off our best um, at the moment. We're probably good 15% down on our best um, at the moment. So that's, that's something we really need to work on hard. Um, and a part of it's because we're not, we're not, uh, we've come in not playing hockey, um, not even, you know, and I think that's something that we need to look at um, with this group because we tend to we tend to have we have our winter hockey, but there's no summer hockey for us. And um, you know, a game that I think that can improve hockey in New Zealand is indoor, and, and there's just not enough. Um, there's, there's not well, there's nothing in Auckland where there's, there's indoor play. Um, and, you, and you look at the European teams; they're strong in their tackling, and uh, you know, and, and that's an asset. They're still playing hockey all year round, whereas you know, once our season's finished, and for a lot of our kids who aren't in the black sticks, um, their season finishes in in uh, September and then they don't start up again until March and April. Um, so, you know, we need to get... Uh, I feel that we need to look at strongly at an indoor competition to keep us keep us involved in hockey at all times. Uh, I suppose Hockey New Zealand, you know, has a plan in place ahead of the Olympics, but perhaps as far as you're concerned, uh, uh, playing or competing full-time for, what, at least 18 months ahead of the Olympics would, would be helpful? Yeah, yeah, well, we are, we are to a degree. Um, we finished in October. And we had a long year last year. We started in January and we finished in October and we needed to give the girls a good break um, because we knew it was going to be a, a hard uh, hard road once we started up again this year. Um, and, and, you know, even though we're not playing well, we're, not, we're a bit frustrated and we want to be playing well so well now, but we've always also got to put in perspective it's the start of our year um, and it's just... It's, it's the start of us playing games again. So uh, from that point of view, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably not... This tournament, has, it's been ideal, but it hasn't been ideal in regards to our season, if, if I can sort of put it in that, uh, that phase of, of, of context. You mentioned indoor hockey. I mean, of course, you play on turf. I mean, what, 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 what do you hope to achieve, perhaps, if there was an indoor sort of like competition? Um, well, I think it just tones your skills. So uh, it's, it's a smaller field, so you play six on six. Um, it teaches people tighter skills. Um, it teaches people a different type of skill. Uh, teaches you, you can use the sideboard, so uh, you, you have to know about angles and all that stuff to the defender. It, it, it just complements field hockey, I feel, and um, it's just something that I think uh, if, if we can build on that, and, and I know... We used to play it in New Zealand, but it sort of fell away uh, as soon as artificial surfaces came in. But um, I still think it has a place um, within our system somewhere. Obviously, there is a program in place ahead of London, but have this result here at the Champions Trophy, does there any tinkering need to be done as far as you're concerned? Oh, no, we're pretty happy with our program. We've always had it in place. So we've got this, then we've got Argentina coming out in March. Uh, we've got uh, four nations uh, against USA, India and uh, Australia in, in April. Um, and we're currently trying to find some competition in, in May, June. We, were, we, we originally went to China and they said no. Um, we went to Japan, they're unable to come out. So we've got about a 10-week block, 10 to 11-week block where we've got no international um, competition. So that's, 
that's the only void we're trying to fill now um, at the moment before we head over to uh, London. So nothing physical or mental uh, with the with the, what would be described perhaps as a poor result of the Champions Trophy that you need to work on? Oh yeah, look, I think I think every team, even if you're doing well, um, you need to be mentally tougher and and improve your fitness. Um, uh, if anything, we've probably been found wanting at the back with our speed. Um, teams have been able to counter-attack and hurt us. Um, and that's something area we'll look at very, very closely um, and, and, and see how we can we can fix that up. Um, because at the moment, it's, 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 it's something that we've been, that's been identified against us. That, uh, we are a little bit slow at the back at times and, and often teams hurt us. So I'm assuming you've got to remain positive with the Olympics in mind. This, this doesn't sort of dent... Uh, your aspirations or, um, you know, aims for the Olympics? No, I don't think it does. And it's, it's funny. Um, the USA coach is a, a player, that, an Aussie guy who I played with many years ago, um, came up and he, we said hello and he said, uh, he said, how are you going? I said, oh, yeah, it's just been a tough tour. And he goes, well, did they just hand out the Olympic medals, did they? And I said, well, no. And he said, long way to go, mate. Hang in. And, and he's so true. We just have to hang in there and... And uh, you know, it's, it's, we've still got five months, and the competition is so close. I feel um, it's at the moment we're probably ten to fifteen percent off of, of where we need to be. That's Blacksticks coach Mark Hager talking to Barry Guy, and that brings us to the end of another edition of Extra Time. Remember, if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at sport at radioNZ.co.nz. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.